Welcome to Torat Imecha Nachyomi with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Norma Mintz, and today we will be studying Micha Perek Dalid, the fourth Perek. Yesterday we learned the third Perek of Sefer Micha. In Perek Imo, Micha berates the political, prophetic, and priestly leaders of the time, and he blames them for much of the evil that will befall the people of Yehuda. He specifically calls out the false prophets who dishonestly assured the people that no evil would befall them, while they were truly doing so because they were accepting gifts and reaping the benefits of the wealth of their constituents. So they told them what they wanted to hear. In contrast, Micha is the first prophet to tell the people that the Beit HaMikdash will be destroyed as a result of their sins. We learn with certainty through a reference in Sefer Yirmiyahu that this parak was delivered through the kingship of Chizkiyahu and that this prophecy led to Chizkiyahu changing his ways and avoiding catastrophe in his own time. The beginning of Perak Dalid, Psukim 1 through 3, is surprisingly familiar to many, as it is mostly identical to the Nebuah that is found at the beginning of the second Perak of Yeshayahu. The Aravanel understands that Yeshayahu had first delivered this prophecy, so Michah spoke using most of the same diction, since it was already familiar to many. While there are many small differences in the words, this can be understood via Rabbi Yitzchak's statement in the Gemara in Sanhedrin 89a, Signan echad, signon echad, excuse me, ole lakam neviim, neviim mitnabim besignon echad. Several prophecies, prophets may receive the same message or prophetic vision, but they do not use the same exact mode of expression. In our case, the changes are slight, while other neviim may share similar messaging and themes, but with entirely different means of expression. Returning to the specifics of our parak, following Micha's prophecy at the end of Perak in which he predicted the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash as a result of the sins of the nation, here Micha gives a nevuah of nechama, of comfort, speaking about the days of Acharit Hayamim, the end of days, at which time the Temple Mount, the Har Habayit, will be firmly established standing prominently among the mountains, at which time people of all nations will stream toward it. This Nubuah gives a beautiful and fascinating glimpse into this period of time during which all of the world will recognize Hashem's mastery over all. In Pasuk Bet, the second Pasuk, the text describes the nations of the world as saying, L'chu el har Hashem Yaakov v'yorenu midrachav v'nelcha be'orchotav Come, let us go up to the mountain of Hashem, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may instruct us in his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For instruction shall come forth from Zion, and the word of Hashem from Yerushalayim. What an extraordinary moment, in which the peoples of the world want to go to Yerushalayim to learn from Hashem and his ways. The end of this pasuk is likely familiar to our ears as we recite the words when we remove the Torah from the Ark. In context, the end of the pasuk serves to explain their rationale for coming to Harabait. They come because they understand now that Sion, that Yerushalayim, is the true source to receive Hashem's word. When we recite the pasuk in Shul, as we take the Sifrei Torah from the Aron, the meaning is much more general. There, we are emphasizing the dissemination of Torah, which we are embodying as we re- read from the Torah ourselves. Pasukimo beautifully illustrates the new reality being described. Beshafat bin Amim Rabim, 
והוכיח לגויים עצומים עד רחוק, וכיתתו חרבותם לעתים, וחניתותיהם למזמרות, לא יישאו גוי אל גוי חרב, ולא ימלדון עוד מלחמה. Thus, he will judge among the many peoples, and arbitrate for the multitudes of nations, however distant. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not take up sword against nation, they shall never again know war. The Radak explains that in this eschatological vision, the Melech HaMashiach, a Mashiach who will serve as king, he will serve as a shofet or a judge, as an arbitrator of justice and peace, not only for the Jewish people, but for all of the world. And as such, the weapons of war will be transformed into agricultural tools, as there will be no such need for, for, for the um, tools, of, tools of war, because there is no conflict in this time of this new reality. Pasuk Dalet goes on to describe this utopian vision in language that is found in other contexts in Tanakh as well. V'yashvu ish tachat gafno v'tachat te'inato v'ein racharid ki pi Hashem tzvakot diber. But every man shall sit under his grapevine or fig tree with no one to frighten him, for it was the Lord of hosts who spoke. Fittingly, the first time that we find this language to describe this beautiful tranquil state is actually not in a messianic vision at all, but in a description of the heyday of Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon. In Melachim Aleph, after the text teaches of the unique gifts that God grants Shlomo, most notably, Alev Shomei Lishbot, an understanding heart to judge Hashem's people, in addition to wealth and honor, it describes the considerable national joy and prosperity at the time. In Perikei Pasukei 5.5, the text uses the language, V'yeshev Yehudah v'Yisrael levetach, Ish tacha gafno v'tacha te'inato, Midan ba'adver sheva v'amkol yumei shlomo. In this manner, the Pasuk illustrates a unified and peaceful nation, which is followed only a few psukim later by Shlomo's building of the Beit HaMikdash. How appropriate, then, to hear the same language as Micha describes the environment that will abound during the time of the third and final temple. As an interesting detail of note, this verse was oft quoted by George Washington, nearly 50 times in speeches and correspondences over the course of his career. It is understood that President Washington was referencing its usage specifically in Micha, as he would also use the end of the pasuk, which is unique to Micha, to Micha in which he states that in which the pasuk states that one has no reason to fear. Uh, the Broadway play Hamilton in the song "One Last Time" actually places these words in his mouth as he tells Hamilton upon contemplating his retirement. The verses of the song states, like the scripture says. Everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. They'll be safe in the nation we've made. I want to sit under my own vine and fig tree, a moment alone in the shade, at home in this nation we've made. In his own time, Washington also alluded to this verse in a correspondence with the historical Hebrew congregation of Newport, Rhode Island, where he wrote, May the children of the stock of Abraham, who dwell in this land, continue to merit and enjoy the goodwill of the other inhabitants, while every one shall sit in safety under his own vine and fig tree, and there shall be none to make him afraid. It seems that the first president of the United States saw this verse as a divine instruction for coexistence and joy. Pasuke of Araparic is interesting and somewhat surprising in its language. 
כי כל העמים ילכו איש בשם אלוהיו, ואנחנו נלך בשם השם אלוקינו לעולם ועד. Though all the peoples go, each in the names of its gods, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. The Mepharshim take different texts in explaining the portion of the Pasuk that seems to say that the other nations will follow their own gods, since the Messianic vision seems to create a universal acceptance of God's providence, which should effectively end the worship of any other deity. Rashi quotes Targum Yonatan as stating that when the Pasuk states they will go, they will actually go to their own demise as punishment for their adherence to other gods. The Radak explains that this means that the worldwide acceptance of Hashem will take a few stages, um, as that will not, it won't fully take place until after the faded war of Gog of Magog, whereas Malbim and Metudot feel that this is describing the contrast that has existed before Mashiach's coming and the reason for B'nai Israel's great merit That while the nations of the world worshipped other gods, B'nai Israel maintained the people of, remained the people of Hashem, and they will remain so forever. In Sukim 6-8, Micha continues to give comfort, explaining that Hashem will gather together those that had been scattered and those that had suffered. In Pasuk Zayin, or 7, we once again find Micha referencing a She'irit, a remnant that will emerge from the suffering and the wandering, that will become a powerful nation, ruled by God's dominion on Mount Sion. Pasuk Chet, or 8, seems to assign the people some notable proper nouns that bring about much discussion by the commentators. Vata migdal eder ofel bat Sion, edecha te'ete uva'ah ha-memshalah ha-rishona mimlechet levat Yerushalayim. And you, migdal eder, ofel of the daughter of Zion, I will come back to you. And the former monarchy shall return, and the kingship of the daughter of Jerusalem. Migdal Eder is a city that appears in Bereshit, Perak 35, verse 21. And Targum Yonatan assumes that Migdal Eder is the name of a city wherein Mashiach will initially be revealed. Radak and others do not assume that Migdal Eder is actually a city in the context of our Perak. Instead, the word Eder means a flock of sheep using the often-used imagery of Bnei Israel as a flock of sheep, with Hashem as our shepherd. And the Migdal, or the Tower of Eder, then, is the Tower of the Flock, meaning the Beit HaMikdash. The Radak goes on to explain that Ophel is another word for a tower, so he understands that this pasuk is stating that the remnant of the previous pasuk will return to Yerushalayim and to the Beit HaMikdash, after which the original kingdom which Rashi understands to mean the unified kingdom of the days before the split between Israel and Yehudah, will return as one to Yerushalayim. In Pasuk Tet 9, we find a shift in tone. As Michai reprimands the people, he turns to them and challenges them. Why do you turn to your neighbors, whom Rashi identifies as Egypt and Assyria, for their foreign alliances, when they have the true king, meaning Hashem, in their midst? Why should they rely on foreign alliances to protect them when all they need is to recognize that all is in God's hands? In an interesting image, the Pasuk asks what caused Bnei Israel to lose the direction of its leadership, asking if perhaps it is because it had been gripped like a woman overcome by the pains of childbirth. The following Pasuk continues this image, encouraging Batzion, the daughter of Zion, to persist in her pains and moans of childbirth. 
the mom actually likens the image to childbirth pains that result in the expulsion, so to speak, of a fetus, just as these pains will result in the expulsion of the Jewish people. In his reading, the Pasuk continues to describe how some will go to the fields and some will go to Bavel, and that only those who end up in Bavel will ultimately be the ones to be redeemed and to return to Eretz Israel, as described in the days of Koresh or Cyrus, the Persian king. There is dispute among the commentators as to what period of time the final psukim are addressing. Pasuk 11 begins with the word ve'ata, and now, which could indicate events that will take place during Micha's time, but most understand it otherwise. While I did not personally see the Tosfot Harid inside, I see that Artscroll quotes him as assuming that this is the time of Chizkiyahu battling against Sancheriv, the king of Ashur. The Mama, however, believes that the time of period of these psukim continues directly from the redeeming of the people of Yehuda during the time of Koresh, leading through the ultimate end of days in the time of Mashiach, particularly describing the battle of Gog and Magog that will precede the peaceful messianic times described at the start of the Perak. Psukim 11 and 12 describe other nations gathering excitedly, feeling that their time has come. The Mabim the explains that their thought, and Zion will gaze upon us, refers to the misguided understanding of other religions that God had discarded us as his people and that he had chosen them in our stead. The Mabim specifically identifies the Yishma'ilim, or the Muslims, as taking this approach, though of course it can be true of Christians as well, who call our Bible the Old Testament, in contrast to their Bible as the New Testament, to assert that we had the original or old covenant with God that was supplanted with our own. However, the text goes on in Pasuk 13 to explain their error, as they do not know Hashem's thoughts or plans. So, of course, they do not understand that our covenant with Hashem was and is eternal. Instead, as the end of Pasuk 12 describes, they have gathered, quote, like cut grain on a threshing floor, end quote. As we have discussed, Michal Morashki lived in rural settings, and he often uses agricultural imagery to illustrate his ideas to the people. In Pasuk 13, the text describes Bnei Israel's strong response, as Hashem gives them horns of iron and hooves of bronze to thresh the kernels, pulverizing them with their superior strength, as granted to them by Hashem, with any, good, with any remaining good or wealth to be dedicated to Hashem. In a fascinating reading of this parak brought by Rav Yol Ben-Nun, the renowned Tanakh scholar. Rav Yol understands these psukim to be instructions for the time of Chizkiyahu, much as we mentioned the Tosfot Harid suggests. To that end, Rav Yol asserts that this is Micha, calling upon Chizkiyahu to fight back against the forces of Ashur and not to passively allow them to advance. This is a particularly bold statement because it directly contradicts the messages that Yeshayahu Hanavi, Micha's contemporary, and perhaps even his teacher, according to some, was instructing at the very same time. While often we learn about the challenge during Yirmiyahu's time, that he was faced with false prophets, such as Hananiah ben Azur, who advised the people and the kings to fight back against Babel, and who reassured the people that they would be saved by Hashem, here we find something much more complex. Two prophets, both designated by Hashem, to deliver two opposing messages. Raviola speaks about the difficulty, referring to it as a machloket in the Beit Midrash, a sincere debate among two well-meaning and virtuous individuals 
who were guided by Torah and by Hashem, but understood his message differently. Rav does not explain how Chizkiyahu was supposed to determine the proper response. He does, however, assert that Chizkiyahu ultimately failed, as he did something which was against the advice of both Yeshayahu and Micha. He forged an alliance with Egypt in an attempt to protect himself from Ashur. For this reason, the righteous Chizkiyahu failed, as he ultimately did not fully place his faith and his fate in the hands of Hashem. The final pasuk concludes somewhat opaquely, and Mepharshim explain it in varying ways, but I will bring the understanding of the Malbim, whose commentary was used for much of this parak. He explains that the final pasuk continues to describe what will take place in the days of Mashiach. He explains now that the Bat Gdud, the children of the troops, of those that fought against Bnei Israel and terrorized our people over the years, will be punished and will be those subject to the threshing of the previous Pasuk. Those that through history struck us on the cheek, as the Pasuk describes, humiliating us and subjecting us to great pain, will now find their generations facing the consequences of God's retribution. Perak Dalit brings a new element into Micha's prophecy, as it begins with a message of Nechama of comfort for the Jewish people, and Micha describes an idyllic time of peace and brotherhood that awaits us at the, at the end of days, with people of all nations and creeds recognizing Hashem as true. The Perak also describes Bnei Israel's ultimate reunification at the end of the day, at the end of days. As the Perak continues, however, Micha also rebukes his people for forging foreign alliances and not relying on Hashem for, for salvation. Finally, the Perak ends with a vision of punishment that nations will pay, face for their mistreatment of Bnei Israel through history. Thank you for studying together. The Eloi Nishmat Riva Schwab, Rivka Bat Alexander Sender.